Hello, and welcome to the To The Stars podcast. This is John Gibbon, your host. To The Stars is based upon the premise that science fiction heralds the possibilities in the future. And today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Todd McCaffrey. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Everybody, I think, pretty much should recognize your last name. So let's talk a little bit about how you got started as a writer and from the... Uh, the genes that are circulating throughout uh, that body, how that came to be? Well, I think it was more nurture than nature. <laughs> um, I grew up in, in a, a world of books, but I actually started reading before I knew my mom was writing science fiction. My, my first favorite was Space Cat by Reuven Todd. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I found Heinlein, and Time for the Stars is a story I continuously reread. Uh, I recommend it if you're even wherever you are in science fiction. Um, it is a great place to be. It's a classic. So then when your mother, Anne McCaffrey, um, how did she start entering your life other than being your mother? Well, going back to Space Cat, Mom was very proud to have her first story published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Right. It's the first one she admits to. It was The Ship Who Sang, which, of course, is an amazing story. Uh, and she was... And shared that anthology, that particular magazine edition, with Daniel Keyes' famous Flowers for Algernon. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. It was amazing. Unfortunately, I was nine, and I was lured by covers. Now, the cover for Space Cat is your traditional Chelsea Bonestell three-fin spaceship sitting on the moon with a big ladder going down from an open hatch, and there's a guy in a spacesuit with a big bubble helmet, and there's a cat in a spacesuit with a big bubble helmet hold that image. The image for the magazine of FNSF for that particular issue was a star field with a banana. <laughs> if you're nine, or if you can remember to be nine, imagine space cat on the moon, banana. It was kind of, you know, there was no decision to be made whatsoever. <laughs> but later on, I did read it, and Chip is saying, and was, was totally blown away by it. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of where we started in science fiction. I was, for the longest time, the first one of her children to read her stuff, because I was a science fiction nerd. Right. Um, and totally loved it. So that's, that's kind of where we came from. So then, how did it evolve that you became then a science fiction writer? Um, or actually, you know, I'm going to ask one other question before that. Your mother made a point of telling me multiple times over drinking her root beers um, that she didn't write fantasy she wrote science fiction so how is it that uh, the Dragon Riders and the whole Pern series is science fiction and not fantasy just for to clarify that with anybody listening oh yeah there's a there's a I totally understand why people think it's fantasy they skip the introduction and they go right into the first chapter and that seems to be a fantastical world if you read the introduction to Dragonflight or for most of the other books, you'll realize that it's men settled upon the planet Pern. Uh, right. And that's what happens, and people think it's fantasy. But if you look, the dragons were actually genetically modified. So with Dragonflight, if you don't read the introduction, you miss all the scientific background that shows you that this is a science fictional story. A lot of people missed it. Right. What was cool... John W. Campbell first published Weir Search, which is the first part of Dragonflight. Uh-huh. And when he published it, he John Campbell has got a mixed name now, but when he was working at the time, he was responsible for 
fostering a whole new look at the world of science fiction. He brought in more humanism, more character-oriented stories. Right. Mom was one of his stable writers. Right. Uh, she brought him in for a lot of stuff. Uh, Weir Search got a cover, a very nice cover. Uh -huh. uh, Dragon Riders also got a cover. We got some amazing covers from Frank Kelly Freeze. Uh, and he brought her on, but he made a point of talking to little me when I was all of 13, uh, when mom had come in and, and we were meeting up. And he was, he was friendly and approachable, and he told me ahead of time, he says, now the dragons, they breathe phosphine-bearing gas. They chew a rock that bears phosphine, and that explodes on contact with air. And he was really, really insistent that I remember this. We used it later in Dragon's Fire. Uh, so that was great. He More also science. helped. Yeah, he helped design the dragons. Uh, he said they have a boron crystalline structure. We have now discovered that if we take nanofiber, nanotech, sorry, carbon. I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, the, the the single layer of carbon, uh, graphite. No, not graphite. Um, yes, brain. Charcoal. No, it's not charcoal. It's when we do. It's the new stuff, the nanotechnology okay. level, where we're getting just a thin layer of. of Whatever, but we can we can build nanotech structures that use boron that is super hard. So pretty much what he said over 40 years ago now, we found in science. And this is one of the things that we're talking about right. is how science fiction influences science. Right. Uh, and he certainly he predicted it, uh, which was really cool. And we used it later on. And that's kind of one of the reasons the dragons do what they do. So then on, she also told me about your mother told me about the. Um, the galaxy or the star chart and how um, the actual truth of the stuff that what she had that actually she pitched a location it, it is a real live location she just she went in a whole lecture to me once on the star chart that Pern resided in yeah uh, Ruckbat resides in the uh, constellation Sagittarius it's there uh, at the time it looked like a good choice Subsequently, we've learned that the actual star itself is not a good star as a, as a life candidate, so I kind of moved it over. It's kind of like it's now second star on the right, as yeah. it were. But but it was it was always you know logical and everything. Mom wanted to mom wanted to prove that women can write good science fiction, and I think she achieved she that. She absolutely achieved that. She, she was a she became a judge in Rise of the Future the second year after giving Algis a piece of her mind that she wasn't already a judge on the first year. Well, now, Aldous Budras, AJ for yeah. everybody, Aldous was the guy who first picked her very first short story out of the slush pile. She wrote, I think it was Freedom of Choice? No, that might not be the right title. The very first thing she ever published, which she wants to forget, uh. she submitted for a competition that had to be exactly a thousand words long and then pick up a hundred right. bucks. And so AJ actually cut her down by 53 words to make it a contest winner. Um, so AJ's been had been a part of the family for the longest time, yeah. and, and sad loss. Brilliant man, and he's, brilliant. he's influenced the the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so now you've done, you've covered a little bit with your mom. Now you picked up the uh, the Pern universe. Um, first of all, in the last years of her life, you're writing with her, and then now you've carried on with that with her passing. So how did that transition occur? Reluctantly. Um, I had always felt that with luck, there would come a time when Pern would be boring. That the, the, the 
one of the underlying themes of the entire Dragon Riders of Pern series is equality between men and women. And I was really hoping that was going to happen, and therefore her books would be boring, because everybody does it. Hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So they're still needed. There's also other things on Pern that can happen that make it a very, very interesting place to write. Um, what happened, originally I was asked to consider carrying on after mom had passed to keep, keep the Dragon Riders of Pern legacy alive, and I said that. Sure. And then I was asked to write Dragon Holder, which is a non-fiction scrapbook of mom's life and how the dragons bought her first house. Uh, and I did so. That's the one that I helped with. Yeah. 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 All the F essays from various... No, no, that was was that uh, that was Dragon Writer. Oh, Dragon Writer. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that's that a different was, one. That's yeah, a tribute okay. to Anne McCaffrey. Right. But yeah, so Dragon Holder was earlier. It was ninety eight or so. Okay. Um, while we were doing that, we talked about maybe collaborating together. And I said, "Gee, I'd really like to like write a story where you have one dragon dies saving another, and the writer's bond snaps to the surviving dragon. So you now have two dragons and one writer." And she said, "This is after off all the wears of perm." She said she would like to have a story um, where a potentially hazardous asteroid impacted on Pern and caused a great big tidal wave. I was running late getting Dragon Holder done. I was living in L.A. I get this phone call in the middle of the night. I can't kill the dragon! <laughs> I realized fairly quickly in my slumber, you know, sleepy state that that was my mother and I said what? And she says, I can't kill the dragon! And I said, well dear, if you don't want to kill the dragon you don't have to. And hung up. And that was the first I realized that she was writing Skies of Pern all by herself. Oh. Now, in 2001 she had a stroke. Uh, and that was the beginning of a decline. Right. It was a slow and gradual decline but we knew then that we were on golden time. Yeah. And so we took advantage of that. And later on, we got a chance. Well, the seed had been planted when the editor at Del Rey had said, maybe you should continue Pern after your mom passes on. And I said I didn't have any ideas. And I came up with an idea. And that idea became Dragon's Blood. And along the way, we were bouncing other ideas back and forth. And we decided that Kinden, who's one of the characters in Dragon's Blood, needed a backstory. So we developed a backstory, which became Dragon's Kin and Dragon's Fire and Dragon Harbor. Right. So we got to collaborate together. It was just a ton of fun. Well, that's good. So now, next stage in uh, Todd McCaffrey's life, now you've uh, teamed up with the Winter Twins, and now you're writing um, fantastical stories while you're also continuing in your world of science fiction storytelling. So how's, how does that work for you? When mom and I were collaborating, I had a very simple rule about solving conflict. Let the New York Times best-selling author win. <laughs> and I had a second rule, just in case that one got to be problematic. Let your mother win, <laughs> you know? So it was pretty easy. But the Winter Twins, Brittany and Brianna, have been writing together. Well, they've been telling each other stories since they could babble. Right. Uh, and they published their first book when they were 12. Right. Just to prove the dyslexia won't slow you down, which I think is pretty awesome. Correct. Um, but when I met them, they said, oh, yeah, we're like two old, we're like an old married couple. You know, we bicker and everything, but but we stake together. And I'm going, that's a, that's a pretty cool skill. I wonder what it'd be like to collaborate with them. And apparently they were thinking the same thing. 
And so when I said, hey, maybe we should collaborate on something, they went, yes. And so we did. And when you're writing by yourself, there's nobody to talk ideas over with. You just right. try them out. When you have a, a writing group, when you have writing partners, we bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, we, the, the one we've just finished the first draft of, which you haven't heard of yet, called The Dark Manor, uh, we spent months building and honing and, and simmering and yeah. stewing. It, it is, it's such a complex and beautiful world. Uh, so, fantastical scientific... Oh, it's scientific. fantastical alternate history. Okay. Um, we're at the end of World War I. Um, and we, we had just so much fun doing that. And Brianna had come up with an idea, and we worked together and built the Twin Soul series. The Twin Soul series is very short, mm -hmm. whole bunch of stories, one story, one book a month. Um, and so we're having fun with that. Which it's is a in, huge, which fantastical. Is just even as a concept, it's it's amazing. It's a huge, fantastical world, and it's stretching us in, right. in amazing ways. So we're having a lot of fun with it. Also, in the '70s and earlier, science fiction was unpopular. You hid your books. It was nerdy, and nobody liked nerds. Well, the nerds have won. Yeah, you know. You get people like Elon Musk building a starship that looks exactly like the ones on our books from the 50s with the Chelsea Bone-style three-fin spaceship. And all of a sudden you realize the nerds have really won. And why have the nerds run? Because getting back to where we are, the nerds read science fiction and they said, why can't we do this? You know, Which yeah. is where we are. Why can't we go? Why can't we build tunnels underneath cities? Why can't we build electric cars? Why can't we build flying cars, which we're working on? You know, why can't we build decent spaceships? And by decent spaceships, I mean reusable. That's a rocket, but I also mean high specific impulse, high thrust, so we can actually get out there and do stuff. And we're moving there. Uh, why can't we do genetic engineering? There are so many people who've done genetic engineering and microbiology degrees who tell me they want to make fire lizards or scare me a lot dragons. Um, but that's what inspired them. So we, this is what we are. We're the, you know, science fiction and now in many respects fantasy are the languages of possibility. Science fiction wants to hone well, science fiction is splintering all over the place. Right. It's, it's gone very different. We have you know, military science fiction. We have hard science fiction. We have rubber band science fiction. We have soft science fiction. Um, we're exploring a whole bunch of areas. What's interesting to me about science fiction, and we've been looking at a number of tropes for a while, and we haven't come up with new ones. We've been looking at artificial intelligence. We've been looking at life extension. We've been looking at nanotechnology. We've been looking at faster light starships. But we haven't, and, and fast computers, we've got right. them, you know. Um, I mean, everybody, I, they call it a cell phone, and I'm looking at it, I'm saying, it's a computer. Let's get real. It's a computer with some wireless technology. It's still a computer. It's your tricorder, you know. It's yeah. not quite up to snuff with a tricorder, and it's definitely not up to snuff with the uh, calculator that... Uh, Harry Seldon used in Isaac Asimov's Foundation series, which was even cooler, but it's close. Yeah. Uh, so we're moving in those directions. Now, I, we shouldn't also throw out the contributions of comics. You know, 
because when you get over to things like Spider-Man and the whole Marvel and the DC universes, there's a lot of stuff that it's been throwing us to think about, and they've been stealing at some level from science fiction. Because if you look at you know the first Avengers movie, where you're looking at the software interfaces, where they're throwing things around, that's beautiful. You know, we we're moving yeah. there. Yes. Um, but I think the cool thing about science fiction is it opens the possibility for people thinking about the future in a way that that takes them places where they can go. I mean, one of our big... There are a couple of... To me, there are a couple of singularity points. Points where, after this, nothing is the same. A couple of them we've had historically. The invention of agriculture, the invention of the steam engine and the railway locomotive completely changed everything. The internet and computers have also kicked us into a new reality. Yeah. Artificial intelligence... Yep. is one of the huge ones. Heinlein hit it first with The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, but he kind of wimped out because at the end, the artificial intelligence disappears. I went and said, I'm going to go tackle that in a different way, and I have a book out called L.A., which is artificial intelligence, and it will have sequels. Um, the other one is, what if we get incontrovertible proof, however it comes, of intelligent life elsewhere in the universe? I think that's really going to change us. Yeah. And whether for good or for bad, I just can't predict. We are we we're programming ourselves now to believe that we can meet with aliens and work with aliens. Uh, we you know all of our films we're having aliens in there and it's mostly working out. We, we have some bad aliens, but we have good aliens too. Right. We're not doing the anything that is different from me must be killed routine. Uh, we haven't quite got there with AI, which is why I want people to read L.A., uh, because there's no reason artificial intelligence would, of necessity, be inimical to human beings. It may actually be, I'm thinking most likely artificial intelligence will be the best thing that ever happened to us, because our brains are wired to think in a particular way. We're, our, our connection, our capability for having friends is limited to about 150. We tend to think very short term rarely do we think you know 150 years that when people were building cathedrals they were thinking that way they were thinking this the question that's come up to me one of the reasons i'm working with the twins is the question that's come up to me is think beyond your death and mm-hmm. i don't mean you want statues of you you want yeah. a library or anything i mean think about the world that you want to have after you're gone Go beyond yourself. Be a human being. Be a member of our species and think about that world. And what are you going to do to help make it come about? You know, you get people like Elon Musk, who I think is really trying to make a new future. Um, You get people like me who are writing about the possibility. Um, Isaac came up with the three laws of robotics, which talked about what are possibilities. I'm talking about, I believe that artificial intelligence, when it comes into being, is going to have to go through developmental stages just like we as humans do. That's part of learning where you want to be in your world. Right. Um, and that means that they're probably going to be initially just like us, and at some point they're going to become different. Um, and one of the things I did with LA is I she has nanotech bodies, plural, thousands of them. Mm-hmm. So she is legion. Right. She has she can think a thousand times faster than human beings. But she's in a thousand different places. I believe that artificial intelligence potentially could start giving us a possibility to not worry about some of the things that we as a species really don't want to worry about. Mm -hmm. Give us a stabler government. 
give us a stabler interchange, give us a framework in which we can reach our full expectations. It's not going to be they're going to be our masters, but they're probably going to be, it's not also like they're going to be comparing us to ants, um, and we're not going to be quite pets either. Right. But we are, we're going to have a whole new relationship um, where we can relate to them as a human being, as an individual, and they will have their different agendas because they're thinking differently. But they may sit there and say, oh yeah, okay, I need to figure out how to conquer cancer. And they may be able to do it because they think a thousand times faster, they got access to all that information. They may see the things that we are now beginning to see with big data mm -hmm. and data mining much faster than we could. And they may see, they may make connections that we just can't. And that doesn't make us lesser, it makes us different. And that's one of the things that we're as a species, we're trying to grapple with is this notion that things can be different, but yeah. okay. Uh, and that's been one of the, the messages from science fiction since forever. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to To The Stars podcast. Our special guest, Mr. Todd McCaffrey. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. In his introduction to Battlefield Earth, Elwin Hubbard wrote that science fiction, particularly in this golden age, had a mission beating the drum to get man to the stars. The To The Stars podcast has been created to recognize and honor those who have dedicated themselves to this objective. Subscribe to the To The Stars podcast wherever you find your podcasts.